Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We'll talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests that you're going to want to have and information, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. Thanks to all of my listeners and all of my readers and all of my guests, and thanks to everybody who retweets about my guests being on the show or tweets about uh, anything having to do with Rex Vikes Movie Beat. They post it on your Facebook or your MySpace or you email it. Uh, thank you for your support and your feedback. I appreciate that. Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you, and that is why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. Keep in mind that you can subscribe to Movie Beat at the official website, which is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. That's Rex Sykes. That's my name, and there's a RSS feed right there at the welcome page. So go ahead and subscribe, and you'll always be updated to changes in the website and what's occurring as far as uh, guests and interviews, cast and crew information, and events. Now, if you're listening to this live, be sure that you uh, make us a friend, make us a favorite, leave comments. You can store it right there as a podcast, uh, which, by the way, uh, in the near future, we should be having Rex Sykes Movie Beat available, you know, archived and indexed through uh, iTunes Store. You can store them as, I, as, a, as a podcast right now, but they haven't been indexed yet. Uh, that is coming up. If you're uh, listening to an archived interview at this point, uh, keep in mind that there are over 70 fabulous interviews with professional filmmakers and celebrities uh, how-to interviews that uh, you're going to want to hear, and those are right there at rexsikes.com. And uh, I give you my full permission to republish uh, these interviews, the links to the interviews and uh, articles, as long as they're done so in their entirety and as long as good taste prevails. Keep in mind that you can join the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook group or the fan page right there at Facebook. And um, now I'm going to give you a uh, a list of some of the things that are coming up, and uh, as well as who my guests will be. Before I bring on uh, Mr. Nick Mancuso, uh, I'm thrilled to have Nick back to continue our discussion on acting and creativity and, and movies, and so uh, we'll be with him in just a moment. But uh, first let me tell you that Firestarter Films uh, comes up January 15th in 2010 at the Live Artist Studio in Milwaukee, so you want to be sure if you're in Wisconsin to attend that. I'm going to give you some Wisconsin things right now. Field Film Fest is February 5th at the UW Waukesha, and uh, that's a Saturday evening. You're going to want to attend that. Tonight uh, is the premiere in Los Angeles of uh, John Key's movie, Fall Down Dead. You know John is a director. He's done a director series with us, about four interviews, and uh, his movie, Fall Down Dead, premieres at the Lamell Theater in Beverly Hills. Uh, it will play between the 18th and the 24th, so be sure to go out and check uh, John's movie out. Sunday night, this coming Sunday, the 20th, uh, Corey Udler's film, Incest Dead Squad, is going to be playing at the Alchemist Theater in Bayview, Wisconsin, 
Uh, you can look that up at Bayview Lounge or Alchemist Theater on the Internet. It's Sunday night, uh, beginning at 7 p.m. Tickets are about $5. Uh, I'm going to go out and see that because I haven't seen Corey's movie yet. And um, and then also the uh, guests that I have coming up that you're going to want to hear. Um, after my guest today, Mr. Nick Mancuso, we're going to have uh, Tim Moshansky come back for part two of uh, film terms and uh, location scouting. We're going to have Reed Martin back uh, two times before the end of the year. He's the author of The Real Truth. This is a must-have a must-read book about filmmaking, and uh, he's going to be back talking about, first, our continuing discussion about uh, what to do and what not to do in terms of making movies, but the the uh, following interview will be uh, what to do and what not to do if you're attending a film festival. You're going to Cannes, you're going to Sundance, who do you need to know, Who do you have? how do you get to them, what should you do and what should you not do. Uh, in January, we've got Douglas Day Stewart, he's the author of, and a director, but he's the author of... Uh, Officer and a Gentleman, The Blue Lagoon, Boy in a Plastic Bubble, Thief of Hearts, and many other movies. Patrick Girardi is a post-production sound supervisor and re-recording mixer. He's going to come back, or he's going to be with us here in January and talk about uh, post-production sound and uh, and the importance of uh, mixing and good dialogue. Peter Marshall is the director. He did the first AD series for us here at Movie Beat. He's going to come back and, and begin his director series with us. John Reese is the director of a book called Think Outside the Box Office, which is about new hybrid ways of distributing movies. Dallas Jenkins is the director of Kevin Sorbo and Christy Swanson's latest movie. And uh, Ted Hope, he's the independent producer of 60 or more movies, will be here as well. So we got a lot of people coming up and, and others that I've not yet mentioned. But right now, I want to turn my attention to our guest today, and that is Mr. Nick Mancuso. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hi, Rex. Can you hear me? I can. There's a little bit of stutter there, but I, I can hear you. Okay. I'm on Skype, so... Yeah, there's a little bit I, of breakup. I, I guess we should have tried it in advance. Sorry to get here at the last second. Do, do you want me to call you from a landline or, or, or try from another line? Well, you're breaking up uh, pretty big time. Yeah, perhaps you could call back, and I'll, I'll make a few more announcements in the meantime. Then we won't take a break later on. I'll just make those announcements now. Do you want to go ahead and call me back? Thanks, Nick. Okay, Rex. I'll call you back. All righty. We'll be back with Nick. Let me say that, um, hey, I was interviewed recently about a movie that I did uh, years ago, Massacre Central High, and there's some Massacre fan sites uh, you know, around. But uh, uh, I just completed another interview in December, and I have posted that to uh, actually the interviews page here at Rex Sykes Movie Beat. So if you're a fan of Massacre or if you've never heard about it you want to listen in, uh, I'm sorry, read it, go ahead. There's a, another link to an article there, uh interview I did last year as well. So uh, check those out. And um, again, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. And that is at R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com while we're waiting for Nick to call in. If you have any questions of my guests, you certainly those. By the way, the chat room is, is open, so if you have questions, you may ask questions in the chat room. But you can also email them in, in advance uh, by sending the email through the contact page and uh, put the name of the guest in the header and the, and the body, put the questions and, uh, and, and send those to me and we'll be sure to ask the guests those questions. They can answer it on the air. If you've got, and a lot of people are sending me screener copies and books and programs and packages and stuff, use the contact page as well to get me those materials for review. All righty. Nick, you're back. Is this back. any better? Well, it sounds better to me. I hope it does to our guests. Uh, yeah. The chat room can let me know. Yeah, okay. So that's all right now? It does sound good now, yeah, yeah. There's, okay, I don't hear any stutters. Uh, 
Okay. So uh, how how are you today? Um, harried as usual. <laughs> you get a lot on your plate. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I just got back from Philadelphia. I'm working on a project there. Uh, we're trying to do as a series called Phoenix, and we're, we've just uh, hammered out uh, the script. And uh, by the end of the month, hopefully, we will have uh, what will potentially be a pilot that we hope to shoot in Philadelphia. Uh, we're going to go out uh, in uh, the end of January and see if we can get some interest from uh, various production entities. And uh, if not, then we're going to do it uh, ourselves. We're going to put it together ourselves and uh, and uh, hopefully do it. It's kind of a retro, um, uh, sort of uh, almost 80s type character, um, not dissimilar to Stingray in some ways, but but very different and, and set in the in the current uh, you know period and in the, in, in the time that that we're in. It's a um, and, and it's uh, it's called Phoenix because it's really about the return of this uh, ex-operative uh, who uh, who is uh, brought back into the fray. I'll be playing uh, the operative, um, and uh, you know he comes back because of the uh, his son is killed, and and he brings him back into uh, his work, and um, he has a special a special mandate. Uh, from the president, and uh, I think it's a wonderful character, and it's I'm doing it with a group of people out there, um, and um, we're hoping, as I say, to do that uh, and try to get it off the ground. You know, in the current uh, context of the times, it's possible to do this sort of thing. You know, with the new technology of film, um, and uh, and be able to uh, you know do it as a SAG low budget, and and hopefully get it made. So that's uh, what I just I just got back a few days ago from uh, Philadelphia. So this is a, this is a plug for the show, The Phoenix. Stay tuned. And there will be more to come. Yeah. Well, that that's great. I, I'm happy to hear that. I'm, I'm looking forward for us to be able to continue our discussion, you know, about mm-hmm. movies and acting and film and your career and, and, and all sorts of... Uh, Which know, has been varied. <laughs> it has been very varied. I mean, you act, you direct, you write, you produce... And painter and, and and poet and all that kind of stuff, which I think for an actor is really kind of um, uh, in my. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of an old-fashioned actor in the sense of of the fact that I really kind of hearken back to Stanislavski and and the origin of of um, you know the kind of um, acting that uh, we refer to as psychological um, theater. But it all kind of began at the turn of the century in Russia with uh, the great Konstantin Stanislavsky and the, and the Moscow Arts Theater. And he had a tremendous impact on me for many, many years and continues to do so. Um, so um, my interest in really the whole acting process is very much an interest in the whole creative process. And once you sort of get into the creative process, uh, you know, it's really applicable to, to almost anything. Uh, in any line of work, um, you could take uh, you know great musicians that have suddenly made the transition to acting, and and they do really really well because they've been in the thick of sort of the creative jungle. And uh, if you're in it, I think you can do almost uh, almost anything in the creative arena once you pick up the basic skills. Um, so that's. I, I appreciate that. I, I think that's true. I think, you know, that, that there are some people who are, you know, they call it triple threat. Or they sing and they dance and they act. Uh, some people direct and write and act. Some people paint, you know, or do poetry and, and do multiple things. And, and certainly uh, it does seem that people like yourself or people who are in the, in the forefront oftentimes of, of, uh, of a career do more than just one thing. And um, 
probably a good thing as well. I mean, not only might they be blessed or gifted or spent years and years uh, training themselves in different endeavors, but but uh, it, it makes them, I think, more rounded and or well-rounded and 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 more open to uh, what life. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, Rex. I mean, uh, you know, you know, the old samurai code uh, was that the the samurai had to be able to do anything and everything. He had to be a, a cook as well as a carpenter, a poet, a calligrapher. Um, you know, the idea of the well-rounded 360 personality is something that we, in a sense, have lost in this highly specialized society. And Buckminster Fuller, who had had a great impact on me when I was a young man, the inventor of the geodesic dome among thousands of inventions, one of the great minds to have emerged um, from America, uh, you know, uh, wrote, uh, and I think he's very clear about this, is the moment a society starts to specialize and the moment you only sort of do one thing, the assembly line mentality, the uh, the road to extinction has begun. So I, you know, I I I feel that it's very very important for people to be able to do uh, anything and everything. In other words, flexibility, and and flexibility is what is going to make a society survive. Uh, right now, for example, in America, you know, we have a, a major crisis brought about uh, really through the specialization of money being sort of the, uh, the operative word, Wall Street, and um, making money on money, and really not making too much that is original. In other words, not really creating anything. America has been a hot uh, bed of creativity, a cauldron of creativity for the last uh, at least 100 years. <clears throat> you know, having really invented um, almost uh, every modern device that's now being used, and including this thing that I'm talking on right now, right, right the computer, um, you know. And, and that creativity is really uh, what we have to look at, you know, making energetic progress towards the good. That is to say, for example, if, you know, in this current crisis, you know, we should be looking at new energy uh, sources and being able to apply those energy sources that would get us off the oil grid. And, uh, and get us into other uh, methods of, of generating energy, which are out there, which exist. And um, it's really a question of applying um, this knowledge, applied knowledge, um, you know, and, uh, and really uh, that can only exist in an atmosphere of creative playfulness. And that's also very applicable, of course, to acting, which is creative playfulness. Once it starts getting all too serious and, uh, you know, life and death and, you know, like you said, triple threat, even the word threat as opposed <laughs> right. to, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's a mentality really that um, in a sense has infected the, the ethos of the society as a whole. Um, and uh, creativity only uh, really grows uh, in an atmosphere of, of playfulness and, um, and, and abundance. And uh, the universe is abundant, and uh, we have to remember that and just, uh, you know, start thinking about uh, positive ways to overcome the almost endless problems, you know, uh, of the current era. You know, those are excellent, excellent points. And, and, and I do want to ask you, and, and I know we'll get, m you know, more into the process of the, the top system and acting and different, but you're, you're addressing creativity and playfulness. Well, one of the questions that I have is, is for you. I mean, you've done over 120 films. You've done uh, a number of TV series. You, you know, you, you, you are entrenched in this business, you know, as a, as a working actor. And, uh, you know, and a lot of people, you know, would be envious of that or, or they're, or they're also trying to strive for the same thing. But the question that I have is, is how do you balance playfulness with, 
working so that because too many people burn out or they have problems or they turn to drugs and alcohol or they abandon a career or they commit suicide or they, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's very true. It's very, very true. It can be an atmosphere of extraordinary destruction. You know, the, the, uh, the uh, I forget the name of the uh, Indian uh, god that represents creativity. I think it's either Kali or Shiva. And uh, on one side of the statue uh, are the symbols of creativity, fire, growth, and so forth. And on the other side of the statue are the symbols of death and destruction. You know, Freud uh, said that there were two basic forces. We, you know, we always look at uh, the eros or, or the erotic, which is the creative uh, energy. But he also talked about thanatos, the, the, the impulse towards death. And uh, the impulse towards life and the impulse towards death you know, um, have to be equally balanced. Um, very often they will join up. Uh, very creative people, you know, are walking a thin line. Uh, a yogic sattvic edge is referred to, a razor blade. And trying to stay on that razor blade, walking that tightrope, is really what the whole dance is about. Trying to find a way to harmonize and stay in the middle. Now, I've been very blessed and fortunate because of my background um, you know, I, I was born in a small town, southern Italy, hadn't changed in, in uh, you know, well over 2,000 years. I grew up, uh, you know, with goats and chickens up in the mountains of uh, the Apennines in the south, and I lived in nature, um, you know, ate natural foods until we migrated to, uh, you know, uh, the new world. Um, so I, I, I was exposed to a way of life that was very, very different from what most people got exposed to. That nourishment and that, um, that energy that, that came from my source, you might say, is basically what's gotten me through most of the, the disasters that an actor will encounter in any career, and it's true of almost uh, any actor. You're in an environment, you are in an environment that, and I always sort of say this, um, counsel people to become spiritual warriors, because you have to be a kind of warrior to get through it. Now, I'd studied, you know, over the years, I studied the many psychophysical methods. I, I counsel actors to do that, not just in the old days, actors to study fencing, you know, weightlifting, but things like, um, you know, uh, Tai Chi and Qigong and Aikido and yoga, uh, you know, to, to um, really um, train. Um, and um, I did a lot of training in my early years and uh, continue to do so, not, not as much now. I guess as you get older, you get more into the less physical and the more spiritual pursuits. Uh, but um, it's important for the actor, if you are going to be an actor, to be uh, really thoroughly grounded uh, and to try to stay grounded because you're going to be pulled out of the ground and, uh, and be floating around somewhere, and that can make it very dangerous. If you look at uh, the recent case of uh, Heath, um, uh, was it Ledger? Is that um, the Batman? Yeah, you know. And then you, you look into the history. If you start looking at the biographies of, uh, of actors, you see, um, you know, the destructive forces. Or even on Michael Jackson, you know, on my blog I wrote about him uh, recently. Um, you know, it's not untypical. It's unfortunately far too typical. So the training ground um, is very important for the actor. Uh, not just sort of being cute and bubbly and being 19 and getting hired on some reality show um, and then being, you know, basically uh, dismissed. Uh, like what Andy Warhol said, you know, years and years ago that, you know, everybody in the future would be famous for 15 minutes. Well, he was wrong. People will be famous for five minutes, you know, and three minutes and then, you know, one nanosecond and, and sort of the machine takes over. 
you know, the responsibility of the artist is to somehow stay integrated and among or inside of disintegrated forces. And that becomes the task, and it ain't easy. You know, it, it takes a tremendous amount of work and courage, and uh, there's a lot of failure attached to it and, and a lot of rejection. And yet, you know, you've got to keep your eye on the prize and your, and your eyes on the light somehow. The main thing is to love it, right, and to really enjoy it. Um, and the real temptations, I think, are much more in the area not so much of failure as they are in the area of success, you know, when suddenly, and, and at times it does happen, you suddenly become, <clears throat> you know, central to something. Uh, a tremendous amount of money um, is attracted to you. You become a magnet for that sort of thing. You get surrounded by the, uh, the welcoming committee, I call it. Um, and, uh, and the next thing you know, you've, uh, you've basically been suffocated out of existence as far as creativity goes. Your money is being generated because you're a particular type. Uh, and there you t we go back to specialization. You start specializing only in that one character that, in a sense, you know, brought you all that money. Um, and uh, so how do you stay creative? How do you stay flexible? And how do you still, at the same time, you know, generate sufficient revenues to be able to have a, you know, a normal life? An actor, for the most part, you know, 98% of the actors, uh, I think 90% of the actors make under $5,000 a year. Um, right. I think only 2% uh, of, the, of the group uh, makes what a plumber would make. Uh, you know, averaged out over a lifespan, you go through tremendous long periods of not working. Um, and, um, you know, as I've always said, it's not a profession, it's a vocation. You know, it's a calling. You're called to it. And, uh, and then if you're called to it, um, you know, then I guess you have to answer. I, I was called to it. It wasn't something I particularly wanted to do. I was in school studying to be, quote, a scientist. <laughs> I wanted to be a research scientist. That was my, 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 my idea when I was 16 and 17 was that, gee, wouldn't it be great to spend my entire life in a laboratory looking through an electron microscope, right? Um, and I still have that part of me. I still uh, I'm all, I have the spirit of inquiry, you might say. And I'm, I'm, well, I'm studying all the time. Well, let me just say that, that I, I find that very true about you, that, that your approach to acting and the, and the kinds of things that, that I know about you or that we've discussed, you, you do bring that scientific method, that inquiry to, to uh, the topics that you're exploring. And, and you present you know, all sorts of corollary information to enrich the actor or enrich you know, the, the, the student by, by drawing from different areas of research, whether that's child development or uh, you know, with Piaget or talking about or psychology with Russia. Or, 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 yeah, or, or, yeah, absolutely. And, but Stanislavski himself said this to the actor. He said, you know, know everything, search everything, go everywhere, expose yourself as much as possible to all the other arts. You know, he, he in one of his early books, uh, I can't remember which one, he talks, he talks uh, about going to the art gallery to study expression, and, um, and I, I used to do that, but it wasn't until I went to Russia and I went to uh, St. Petersburg and I went to the Russian Museum and saw the kinds of paintings he was talking about that I really understood what he was talking about. The Russians um, had a tradition, which is, has not been too visible in the West, of these amazing canvases uh, 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 with historical themes. Many of these paintings had been sort of thrown into the basement of the, um, of, the, of the museum when the Soviets took over and said, you know, these are bourgeois. 
And I saw some of these amazing canvases uh, that uh, had been pulled back. Um, I was in Russia about four years after the, um, you know, after the the, um, the fall. I was shooting a picture there that uh, Roger Corman actually was producing, um, and um, uh, set in the uh, in the French Revolution. It was it was extraordinary because they had uh, you know an entire uh, all of Paris inside of this studio. These giant studios, Mosfilm Studios, cobblestone. You know, streets. I mean, just incredible. They gigantic studios, bigger than any place I've ever worked in. Anyway, uh, and I went to the museum and I saw these paintings, and and they are extraordinary. Um, the expressions um, and the kind of meticulousness of and detail work that was done by these great Russian painters, um, similar to some of the Renaissance paintings, you know, but uh, but uh, much more modern. Um, anyway, uh, the point is, is is to find these kind of creative triggers. And in an environment in which everything gets kind of progressively more numb, it gets harder and harder to find these creative triggers. Um, you know, where everything becomes the same, everything, everything becomes homogenized, no matter where you go. You know, it's the same, quote, McDonald's. It's the same uh, repetitive assembly line mentality. People become similar to each other rather than dissimilar. Uh, in other words, there are less and less characters um, in, in characters in the old sense of the word, you know. Um, character comes out of environment. And as our environments become progressively the same, then we become progressively the same. So really, what what is the actor to, in a sense, portray? A um, hundred years ago, um, you know, the, um, the great actor Keane, you know, was able to play Hamlet at the age of 65. Or even Romeo, at, I think he was 62 when he did Romeo. Um, that sort of acting uh, has basically disappeared because the camera, the close-up, has eliminated all that. But the reality is the actor, you know, really should be able to play almost anything uh, at any time. We don't get a chance to do that. We don't do makeup, hair, and so forth. Uh, I mean, there, there's only a few kind of transformative, what I call transformative actors around uh, who really do undergo transformation. We think of Robert De Niro, uh, of a Russell Crowe, of a Pacino to an extent. Uh, who are transformative actors who actually, quote, become someone else. Um, certainly De Niro did it in Raging Bull. That was an intense and extraordinary transformation. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's rarer and rarer. Or, or Charlize Theron and Monster. Um, we hardly see any of that. It's really kind of progressively moved into this area of Barbie doll similarity and, you know, um, cuteness and... You know, and, uh, and and part of the actors or the artist's responsibilities in some ways to go against the flow. You look at the, uh, the really the great uh, actors of America, the, um, you know, the um, Montgomery Clips, the, the James Dean, the Marlon Brandos, you know, that period in, in, um, in America in the late 50s and 60s where these extraordinary artists really uh, suddenly emerged. And they had, they had a, um, an, a, a, an astounding impact on the consciousness of the nation and ultimately on the consciousness of the world. Um, that, that's happening less and less. Uh, part of that is the fact that there's no longer a training ground in America. New York was the training ground. It's so expensive now because of real estate. To do a play costs almost as much as, as doing a film in the old days. So where, where is an actor going to get his training? Look at the Oscars the last number of years, and, and you'll see a lot of people that were trained in Australia, New Zealand, England, uh, and elsewhere, and less and less Americans. 
So it's not going to turn around until you know we can do theater again because that's really the training ground of the actor, and and be able to um, not only just do theater in New York but actually you know impact the audience, i.e. an Edward Albee, um, you know the kind of Tennessee Williams, a, a Eugene O'Neill, um, you know great playwrights that really kind of galvanized and riveted an audience, talked about really the issues that Hannah Clifford gets. Um, where are those guys, you know? They're not getting nourished. Everybody's becoming a derivatives trader, so, you know. So do you think that, that America has seen its heyday in, in all of the arts because we are this cookie-cutter society now and that other areas like Australia, New Zealand, or, or places around the world are, are going to have are, are, are more of the renaissance? No, the, only, the only reason a place like Australia, uh, you know, has, has the kind of actors that have emerged is because it's still possible to do theater there. You know, I was in, in, in um, uh, the Czech Republic and uh, uh, Romania and, you know, in, in Moscow and Prague and Bucharest, and um, I would go to the theaters there. The theaters were immense. The theaters were packed to the gills. Um, last year, in Bu- I saw Bulgakov's Laughing Dog in Bucharest with the Romanian National Theater. What a piece of theater it was. You know, uh, in England, Tom Stoppard's Jumpers at the... Um, at the um, uh, national, what extraordinary work, you know? Um, yeah, well, you know, they graduate from school, they go to Manchester. They they can. There is a venue to, for them to train. It takes about seven years to train a, a, an actor. Why shouldn't it take about seven years? But now in the age of reality TV, you know, everybody's a performer. Everybody, you know, but that's behavior. It's got nothing to do with acting. So in a sense, even though we've had we have now more actors in existence and in the entire combined history of the world, the actor per se is really a constant. And in a sense, they are uh, swallowed up in this wave of detritus, you know, that passes for, quote, entertainment. What it really is, is grotesqueries. Um, and, um, and, and it'll keep your attention. I mean, you know, the sponsor only wants to get your attention. Sponsor's not interested in, quote, a story or a narrative. You know, he's trying to sell his product. So it's that balance between business and art. And without any doubt, business, uh, you know, has got uh, this particular round really well taken. Um, the, the other thing to remember, too, is that uh, now I sound like I'm lecturing again, right? Um, I can't help myself. Is that, you know, the, the, the whole nature of sponsored television was really the turning point, which is that, you know, originally uh, a Let's say Playhouse 90 that came out of New York in the 50s, uh, screenplay by Patty, I mean, uh, play by, you know, written by Patty, Ch- uh, Patty Chayefsky and starring a Rod Steiger live, you know, would be watched more or less in very, very large segments, if not the entire thing, and then either followed by commercials or commercials before that. The commercials basically took over. So there's every two seconds, there's a commercial streaming at you. How can you possibly follow the narrative? Well, it's not about the narrative. What you're really doing is setting up a, a framework for the commercial, and and uh, you know and and so you know what is the actor's uh, work? Well, the actor's work basically is is a huckster uh, to bring attention to what the commercial is. You know, he's there, he's the guy with the uh, the bullhorn, you know, calling in the uh, the rubies or the rubes, you know, to to, uh, to you know come and see the geek. Um, you know, bite a ch- uh, the head of a chicken off, that, you know, that kind of thing. And in the meantime, why don't you buy this snake oil? Um, 
you know, what's the solution to that? I, I really have no idea. Even in Italy, you know, which had a tradition at one time of really great film uh, and certainly great theater, that's all you know, kind of been corroded through the whole Berlusconi period. And before that, um, Italian cinema, which at one time was really some of the finest and Italian actors uh, among the best in the world, um, uh, of which there are fewer and fewer, most of whom are now Italo-Americans, um, you know, here in the United States, the Pacinos, the De Niro's, etc. And Italy, you know, um, created uh, the great actor Sal uh, Salvini, who had had a huge impact on Stanislavski um, and Eleonora Duse, at one time was producing these extraordinary uh, performance artists. Uh, Anna Magnani was like the last one, and in fact, I'm going to Italy uh, late December to do um, a kind of docudrama on Anna Magnani. Uh, um, for you out there who don't know who she is, look her up. Anna Magnani was one of the great Italian artists, and she starred in the very first neo-realist film, uh, Roma Città Aperta, which changed the face of the film. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a docudrama sort of vaguely set in that context. Um, and Amagnani, for example, um, when in the 50s um, Hollywood moved um, at that time, uh, you know, from Hollywood to Cinecittà, that's the period of time Cleopatra, 50s and 60s, and, and suddenly, um, you know, Rome became Hollywood, uh, Hollywood West, uh, and started producing all these Hollywood pictures because they could do them for far less and still have the studios and, and the crews and, you know, quality uh, people. The time producers decided, of course, that they were going to make movies for the American market, which at that time was the big market. It's now the opposite. The big market is global. It's not America anymore. Um, so they were trying to make, so they took the Italian actors and, you know, Italian actors started giving themselves anglicized their names and started dyeing their hair blonde. And, um, and started making pictures that they thought, you know, America would buy. Out of that, the Spaghetti Western was created, right? Spaghetti Western and um, the, the Hercules movies and all this junk. Not all of the junk. Some of the Spaghetti Westerns are works of art. Uh, and some of the other stuff, were, you know, in fact, in, in Glorious Bastards um, is, a, is a remake of a film by Enzo Castellari, um, who was one of the founders of the Spaghetti Western, um, Tessi and Sergio Leone, um, and uh, Quentin Tarantino, um, was a big fan of his, you know, did a, a, a repeat or a remake, not a remake, but it, it's a remake of, of his original film. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of creative explosion. For the actors themselves, however, the idea was to kind of disguise yourself as a kind of ersatz American, and people like Anna Magnani stopped getting work because she was, quote, uh, too Italian. So um, this homogenization, this uh, uh, really started to infect the world uh, quite some time ago. Actors are individualists, and they express the, or should express, the modality of their community, of their environment, uh, the spirit and the culture that they come from. There's a... And that's what makes it juicy and wonderful. And Irini Papas, for example, as a Greek actress in Medea, or um, uh, you know some of the great French actors and so forth. This is becoming progressively less and less as the sort of globalized uh, entertainment idea, or the globalized or the McDonaldization of culture 
um, has, has taken over. So I, I don't know what the solution to that is because it's all run by economic forces. That's really what's behind it all, right? The cheaper, the better. And uh, right. that's why, you know, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, you're right on with that. I mean, the, the, the notion that conglomerates run everything and everything's become cookie cutter, whether it be, you know, food or banking or, or entertainment. So you're, 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 I think you're right on the mark. Well, you know, it's unfortunate because the artist is an individualist and really has to express in his uh, the spirit, you might say, of you know, uh, of of his place and time. A little bit like baseball too. You know, baseball. If you were, you know, a baseball player from a particular town, you were playing against another town. You know, you the baseball players came from where you know their their teams uh, said they came from. You know, until it got um, you know corporatized, globalized, and and. Uh, um, so it, really what we're talking about is kind of uh, the spirit of culture, or the idea of it. And, um, you know, a James Dean could not have emerged from any other place than America in the 50s. A Brander could not have emerged from any other place uh, than America. Nor could a Laurence Olivier, um, you know, or, or Sir Ralph Richardson come, or, or, you know, an Anthony Hopkins come from, from anywhere else other than they are a product of their, um, of their culture and an extension of their culture. This is all getting truncated, um, and it kind of like floats around. In fact, I think there's more people in the air nowadays than there, there are on the ground with the number of people traveling from place to place. So they're living in very interesting times, you know. One of the things, one of the things that, I, that I appreciate is so much about, about what we're discussing now is the fact that you're talking about the artist, you're talking about culture. Uh, you know, I and I agree with you because I've often said that what the the working actor today in our industry is really no more than a sub salesman or a ticket salesperson, and 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 you mentioned that earlier. I mean, in other words, they exist for the commercial, or they exist so that somebody else can sell tickets. And and the better sub salesperson you are through your craft, or the better ticket sales you are, the the bigger you know. And, and the more and the more you don't interfere with it, the more you right. don't distract from the real stake. You know, that you're just uh, you're just guiding them in. You, you know, you don't want to bring too much attention to the actual story, the narrative, the ideas, because then you know the ideas take over. You know, that nonsense of marketplace of ideas, right? Uh, ideas are not a marketplace. <laughs> there is no more connection between the marketplace and 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 ideas and and culture uh, than there is between the spirit. You know, between the spiritual matters and and uh, matters of of the body. Uh, you know, I mean, there's an interconnection, but it isn't. Um, we're engaged. The artist is really engaged in in a, in a very separate um, uh, work and. Is really his responsibility, or, or part of it, if there is a responsibility, and maybe it's just decoration, I don't know, um, or decorativeness, but I think there is a kind of import to, um, to it, because you can see how people get inspired. You know, Alexander the Great, when he marched, <laughs> when he marched into um, Asia Minor and conquered, you know, the then-known world, uh, and I think um, he took about 450,000 soldiers, got as far as India, you know, created the um, empire, took with him, um, according to some things I've read, about 75,000 actors um, because that's how important they were to ancient Greek culture in terms of inspiration, in terms of guidance, in terms of direction. So it's not a coincidence that America at its heyday had the Marlon Brandos and the James Deans and, and the Gary Coopers, um, who are a radically different breed from the current breed, um, very different people. 
the, you know, the old thing is, you know, these people have faces. They did have faces. They had more than just faces. They had genuine, um, you might say, not personalities, but, but they were etched, uh, you know, deeply cut figures, deeply etched. Um, you look at a Gary Cooper. Uh, when Stanislavski saw, saw him on the screen, he, he said to his uh, students, this is what I'm talking about. Gary Cooper was a perfect example of the Stanislavskian actor, i.e., that would then, you know, in America became the method. There is no method, by the way, to, to it. Um, it's a methodless method. Um, anyway, so that's the kind of stuff that goes through my head these days. But I guess at a certain age, you start thinking about this kind of stuff. No, that's, that's awesome, and, and I want to I ask you, um, interestingly enough, we've got maybe about 18 minutes, 17 minutes left in this particular conversation. I know you and I are going to do a, a plethora of, of conversations, we've got, and I'm looking forward to it. But, 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 well, I'll uh, do anything to sell my book, Acting is for Everyone, <laughs> <laughs> and my paintings, which are available on Facebook. <laughs> and therein are the commercials, so uh, going back. But, um, I think it's a commercial. Yeah, that's cool. Um, what I was going to say is, is, is um, not, we're not going to have time to address it now because I want to go into something about uh, your approach to acting. But what I do want to ask you about is, is it does appear that people like Dean and Brando and Clift, uh, you know, I mean, they lived on the edge. They were also a little bit screwed up by, by some conventional standards. They, they were on the edge, yeah. And the yeah. and the issue about being an artist and 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 today when you you mentioned Heath Ledger and some of these, um, I mean we're 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 the true artist versus the 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 actor you know. Well, the businessman artist is what Brando referred to uh, it as when he said you know uh, uh, shortly before he died, you know he said there are no actors left only businessmen. Now right. Brando uh, you know held some acting classes apparently that I read about that uh, I think he had three, 400 people. And one day, apparently, he came to the class and he brought with him a homeless man and put him on stage, right? One of, one of these, you know, human wrecks and put him on stage and pointed to this man and said to the audience, this is a real actor. Mm -hmm. And apparently, some people were so incensed, they stormed off. Mm -hmm. The point he was trying to make, as I understand it, I think what he was trying to point out is that this fellow in his homelessness, um, living the life he was living, and being completely, in a sense, integrated into that life because of having no choice, uh, was, in a sense, the best-defined um, character actor. Um, in, in other words, he had allowed himself, in a sense, to become totally molded. The actor has to allow himself to become totally molded by the writer, by the screenwriter, by the character, etc. Um, you know, not to put down people like Tom Cruise, who I think is a, you know, is a pretty amazing human being in terms of what he's accomplished, but the nature of the acting that he does, and, and even others like him, um, then there's a lot of them around, you know, it, it still is in the reign of behavior. Uh, it's not in the in the realm of transformative work. Um, transformative work, like I said, is, is being done by people like uh, you know Dustin Hoffman still, and um, you know Russell Crowe, or Charlize Theron, but it's very very rare. Um, and um, so at that particular time with Brandon D. Montgomery Clift, etc., you know, um, 
the times were radically different, and they were an expression of that time. What is the nature of the times that we're in? You know, it's like, what would you really want to express? There has to be a need. That's what I refer to as the O or the inner object in my top system, uh, which is T-O-P, three basic ideas. What's the inner object here? What's the objective? What is it you need to say or do other than make people laugh, which is certainly still very strong, you know? But is there a point? Is there a story being told? Is there a narrative? If there's going to be a narrative, there has to be a need to tell the narrative, not a formula. Do you understand? So that the thousands of people coming out of sort of, in a sense, derivative cinema, or uh, like derivatives on Wall Street, which nobody quite understands unless you, um, you know, have, have an understanding of statistical calculus, um, doesn't produce anything, really. Nothing is made. That money is not used to create anything. It, money makes money. And in a sense, uh, this is similar in, in the arts. It's just something that kind of like derives and provides some kind of entertainment. Time passes, you walk away, and, you know, nothing's revealed. Remember in the old days when I was a kid, um, you know, the teacher would say, what's the moral of the story? Or, you know, what is the story about? Well, I wouldn't know how to answer that anymore. You know what I mean? I just hadn't seen, you know, a Batman or whatever, in spite of the attempts of many good artists to try to bring that into it, I don't know what to say. It's about a guy with a cape. Uh, he lost his parents. They were killed by criminals. He's trying to avenge himself. He, I, I, you know, I just, I, I don't know where to go. You know, I, I wouldn't know how to, how to, to tell myself what is this about. So, you know, you're watching a bunch of people pissing each other off on some reality show and. You know, somebody weeping over the fact that uh, her boyfriend is uh, taken up somebody else. Somebody else. You, know, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, this is not Romeo and Juliet, you know, where, where two households, to, uh, you know, both alike in dignity in fair Verona, uh, from ancient grudge break to new enmity, all that, you know. It, you see what I'm saying, Rex? It's like, I wouldn't know, and maybe it's me, and maybe it's a thing, but I just wouldn't know what the O is, what's it about, I don't know, other than sort of creating a hypnagogic state to, to set you up, um, you know, for the commercial. So no, no, I, hear, I hear you, I, and, but I, I want to ask you something in the remaining, we've got like about 10 or 12 minutes, and I, I do want to ask you something. I'm going to set it up with with a little bit of background, and that was... Um, in the so, by the way, Rex, Rex, I have to say something. I was I was given some criticism about my last interview. Apparently, I'm talking too much. They want to hear oh, more no, no. of you, so, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut, okay? Rex, talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of you. No, 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 no. You're here so that that people can hear you, and and if I can provoke a thought occasionally, that's fine. Um, but but the background <laughs> – thanks. The uh, the background question was, in the 70s, as a young actor, I happened to watch Marlon Brando interviewed on one of these late-night shows like Charlie Rose or something, and the interviewer kept saying, you know, I want to ask you about your career and about acting, and Brando wanted to talk at that time about – uh, a social situation that was happening occurring yeah. actually in Wisconsin. Sure. And he said, look, he said, finally, he said, listen, acting is like sharpening pencils. Anyone can do it. Well, I was incensed as a young actor. I was like, well, yeah, you've got, you've been nominated for Academy Award. You've had at that time about a 20 year history uh, career. And so I was very pissed, but I was fortunate to know Shelley Winters. And uh, one day at lunch, and I asked you, her, Shelley. And you, yeah, Shelley. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, I think the reason Marlon hated acting so much was because. You know, we spent so much time in pain with it, and 
and, and yeah, exactly. The reason he hated acting so much was not that he hated the acting. Obviously, he wouldn't have done it if he hated it, and he wouldn't have been as brilliant as he was. It's what he what he hated. Obviously, was everything that surrounded it. The fact that it uh, had been curtailed, that it had in a sense been co-opted, had taken over. Um, you know, put at the uh, at the grindstone of the great uh, money making ventures. Uh, and uh, as long as you have balance between those two, it's doable. Obviously, actors have to eat like everybody else, and they have to be able to make a living. But um, but the fact of the matter is, is you know, with time in the last forty years, the the actual profession, in a sense, has been held hostage, taken hostage. Um, by the forces of uh, the great, uh, you know, corporatist drive towards, uh, you know, profit, and um, I think that's what he hated about it. Not that he hated uh, a man that could do the performances that he did. I mean, um, I'm thinking right now of his unbelievable performance in Apocalypse. You know, um, obviously could not hate it. He hated everything around it. As by the way, so do I. I mean, it's it's very painful. And, and yet, as I was saying when we first started, I said, you know, you do a lot of things and you're balanced and you're grounded, and not so many actors are fortunate. We mentioned, you know, Michael Jackson or Heath Ledger. How, does, how do, you know, those people like Dean and Cliff or Brando or those people who did suffer or who, who are tormented sometimes for their art, how do you, how, in, the, in the eight minutes we got left, how, what advice would you give to actors or artists for staying balanced and and being healthy and not having to go the route of alcohol or drugs or or psychotic psychosis or well i I, you know i went through as a a child of the 60s i went through all that and and at the age of 33 stopped everything i was very very lucky and you know and uh worked very very hard but um uh, the thing is that i feel is very very important has to do uh, is, is in the nature of the training um, I always I define acting as psychophysical labor, um, and you're kind of carrying, in some cases, massive emotional weights, um, and uh, you get to burn, you know, uh, very much like a weight trainer. You get to a certain point, you get to the first burn, you get to the second burn, um, and uh, uh, it's very important for for the actor to, uh, as Stanislavski himself said, um, you know, create a, a discipline. A very important discipline, um, and the, the discipline has to be on all four levels. It has to be physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, uh, in order to survive, just to survive. Um, we don't get too much to, you know, like most actors today. If they're going to do physical training, it's going to be basically, you know, weightlifting, rippled abs, you know, all that kind of nonsense, uh, you know. Um, but really. Um, I strongly counsel actors to get into uh, things like what, what I did, which is I did many, many years of yoga, um, uh, which uh, really helped me a great deal. Uh, then I studied Aikido for six years, you know, the martial arts that uh, Steven Seagal was the first white guy to bring um, to, to uh, the first dojo in uh, Japan. Um, and as you know, I, I've done several films with him. Um, Aikido, Tai Chi, uh, Chi Kung. Uh, yes, to a certain extent, weight weight training is good, but uh, lightweights. Um, but uh, you know, get the body in place, and along with that, the mind, um, the ability to think, the ability to analyze, the ability to 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 uh, get a clear line on on what the story is about, which gets progressively harder because uh, the oh, the the inner object, as I say, is difficult to find now. 
Um, if you were to ask me, you know, most stories that we get to do nowadays, what happened other than, gee, you know, some drug dealers, uh, you know, kill some people and, uh, you know, uh, you go out after them and you catch them and you put them in jail. Um, and the moral of the story is, well, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, you know right. don't steal. I, I, I have no idea. Um, um, so psychophysical training is very, very important. Mental training is very important. All that has to be, you have to be solidly grounded, I think, in that stuff. On the emotional sphere, you know, try to surround yourself with loving people. You know, the most destructive force, as Stanislavski pointed out, is the critic. And above all, self-criticism, uh, self-judgment. Uh, you know, keep the judgment out. Keep the critic at the door. Uh, you know, not everybody's going to like you or like your work. Um, and, and they have a perfect right to their opinion, you know. But if you let that kind of stuff uh, in, uh, you're going to shut down and you'll stop creating. And um, there's a great story in one of Stanislavski's books where he's trying to create a role um, and in fact, it might be in creating a role with a group of other actors. And they had a bunch of costumes, and, you know, in, in those days, of course, hair, makeup, mirrors, you know, and all the other actors are creating, quote, characters, making characters up and putting on costumes. And Stanislavski, in the story anyway, can't seem to come up with anything. He has no inspiration, i.e. inspirare, to breathe in. Um, he's not breathing in. He's not getting, um, you know, getting it. So he sits in front of the mirror looking at his makeup and changing it and trying different costumes. And, and finally, in total and utter frustration, he rubs his makeup uh, all around his face. And this greenish pallor, uh, this green man is suddenly facing him. And, quote, ding, he gets the character. And he goes and he puts on a top hat and he puts on a cape and all that and realizes that what he's done is created the critic, and that in fact what he had done was manifest the critic that was inside of him that was stopping him from the playfulness of just inventing. And, uh, and, and that is a kind of cautionary tale in terms of the work because the critic's function and responsibility is not to look inwards. The critic's function and responsibility is to protect you by looking outwards. Um, Actors are uh, subject to endless criticism because everybody's got an opinion. So you have to somehow be able to continue no matter what, um, in spite of the more importantly than the outer critic, the inner critic. And, and that's all I can really say about that kind of stuff. So discipline and training is very important and to maintain it on some level. That's awesome. I, I do appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners do as well because, you know, because I think people need a handle on it. I, I've always maintained as a professional actor or, or when I taught acting in L.A. for a while that the, the, the actor has to have an on and off switch. They've got to come to the set prepared, whether it's a theater or a TV show or, or motion picture. They come prepared having done their homework and having – but then when you say action – that's the time that you act, and when you say cut, that's the time when you go back to being you, so that you can go home, you know, and you don't have to hit the bottle, and you don't have to hit your wife or your boyfriend or your husband or whatever or your partner, uh, and you don't live in psychosis, you know. In other words, if as a professional artist, uh, my feeling has always been you need an on and off switch, so that. You do. Uh, yeah, you absolutely do, and and there's a fine line between so-called mental illness and creativity, sometimes not so fine. 
But you know, I always say that the only difference between me and a schizophrenic when I'm working as an actor is I'm not schizophrenic. But the same kind of mentality, you know, the same kind of, in a sense, openness to the universe is necessary. But you have to be able to open uh, what in Aikido is called ingress mood, move, and then you have to be able to close. So in the theater, for example, I used to go a couple hours before to prepare, and then I would have a few hours after where I would sit and just kind of like let the engine cool. Um, but, you know, film actors don't get that opportunity. They have to be on 24 hours a day in a sense, or 48 hours a day. So it's pretty tough in film and television to maintain that kind of, sort of sanity and, uh, and work. But uh, it's doable. It can be done. And, um, you know, that's my story, and I'll stick to it. <laughs> well, Nick, you know, we're, coming, we're drawing to a close. We've got about two minutes left. I just want to say thanks so much for this conversation today. Um, you said you were traveling at the end of, October, uh, end of December. I know we're going to come back. Uh, and yeah, I'm going uh, at the end of the month for about three weeks in Italy. I'm going to be shooting a small picture I wrote called The Tears of Persephone, which is a kind of docudrama uh, on the south of Italy and uh, the migration, uh, and also this uh, picture called Lulace, which is a small picture on uh, somewhat on, on the life of Anna Magnani set against the neorealistic uh, films of the time. So I know it's uh, time's running out, but uh, hopefully I'll I'll do that for about two three weeks, and then I'll be back here. Uh, so there it is. Well, that's fantastic. I know that uh, you and I will be in touch, and and we'll schedule the next one. Let the listeners know, and uh, and I sure appreciate this. Uh, as always, it's a, a great. A great, great pleasure to uh, to to listen to you and to and to interact with you uh, in these conversations. So thank you, and uh, happy holidays and happy travels and and uh, best of luck with everything. We'll all, I know all of us will be envious uh, of you being in Italy while while we sit wherever we sit. I, I will be envious of myself for being there. I wish everybody happy holidays and Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and uh, you too as well, Rex. It's a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, next time, I want you to talk at least fifty percent of the time, okay? And I, I <laughs> well, I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut next time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, no, no. They're they're tuning in to hear you, but we will. We'll talk more about about the top system and about acting and and, and about movies and and. Okay. Uh, and and thank you so much. And have a again, I have a fabulous day and a and a and a happy trails. I'll, I'll talk to you real soon, right after this. But happy trails, right? Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Mr. Nick Mancuso, actor, director, writer, painter, poet. Uh, you know, he does so many things, and and uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, we had him on today. Remember, we've got lots of great interviews coming up. We got Tim Mashinsky coming back to talk about uh, film terms. <laughs> that you're going to want to know uh, when you're on a movie set. Uh, we've got Reed Martin coming back uh, to do two interviews before the end of the year on um, film distribution, making movies, what to do and what not to do, as well as what to do if you're going to attend uh, a major film festival or if you've got a film playing there. And then a whole host of, of, of great guests coming up uh, right after the beginning of uh, January, as well as uh, Nick Mancuso. So uh, thank you all for listening in. I... Uh, Encourage you to share these uh, interviews, uh, you know, with your friends and your industry connections by uh, retweeting or tweet about them. Publish, you know, the links on uh, Facebook, MySpace, and email. Thanks for all your feedback and all of your support. Everybody, complete your projects, uh, make your movies, get your things done, and um, and best of luck to you. And that is a wrap. <laughs>